This is an RNZ podcast. On Monday, the Advertising Standards Authority released a ruling which found a Facebook ad placed by National in the week leading up to the election was misleading. National had claimed a hypothetical retired couple would have to pay $140 more per week under the Greens' proposed wealth tax. The ASA found that wasn't true. The couple wouldn't have paid the tax at all. National was censured. The ad had already been taken down, but if it hadn't, the ASA would have asked for it to be withdrawn. This was technically the system working as intended. There was only one problem. The election was already over by the time the decision was released. Even if the ASA had been able to get its decision out before the election, it's an organisation with voluntary membership and has no powers to enforce its decisions. There was no real penalty for National being loose with the facts. Some have argued that lack of enforcement power and the lag between ads being posted and decisions being made are making political parties more comfortable stretching the truth. This week wasn't the only time National had been censured for posting misleading ads in the lead-up to this year's election. In January, the ASA ruled it was wrong on how much a proposed fee-bait scheme for electric vehicles would raise the price of fuel-burning cars. In May, a complaint was upheld over an ad which claimed Labour was better at creating people on the dole than jobs. Complaints were also upheld over ads during the election campaign by Billy Takahika and Jamie Lee Ross's party Advance NZ and the Social Credit Party. Overall, the number of complaints to the ASA about misleading election advertising rose from 16 in 2017 to 101 this year. That isn't exactly catastrophic, but it's happening against the backdrop of a rising tide of online disinformation which has disrupted and distorted elections overseas. It raises the question of whether New Zealand has adequate systems and structures in place to counter misinformation, particularly at election time. Do we need to come up with stronger methods of disincentivising misleading advertising and political falsehoods in general? And is that even possible without clamping down on people's freedom of speech? I put that to ASA Chief Executive Hilary Souter. Kia ora Hilary and welcome to Media Watch. Thank you. Now first off, can you tell us very quickly what types of political ads the ASA does rule on and what it doesn't rule on? So the ASA is responsible for... Um I guess you could broadly call it non-broadcast political advertising. The Broadcasting Standards Authority deals with election ads on TV and radio, and the ASA deals with everything else. Print, unaddressed mail, addressed mail, social media, digital, cinema, etc. So what are your enforcement powers? What can you actually do if someone infringes and posts a misleading ad on one of those mediums? The enforcement that we request is removal of the ad. If the ad's a problem, remove it. But most advertisers do. We're talking because we've had several instances this year where complaints have been upheld over National Party ads and also ads by parties like Advance NZ. Does it indicate that the ASA isn't (laughs) enough of a deterrent? Just to put that in context, Hayden, we had 29 ads of the National Party's complained about. Seven of those were considered to have a case to answer and went to the complaints board. Three were upheld or settled, and four were not upheld. Another example would be we had two complaints about the Social Credit Party, and both were upheld. I think you have to look at the bigger picture of is that a lot in, the, in considering the volume of the advertising that was out there. Do you think, though, that political parties, whether it's National or Social Credit or Advance NZ, would be less willing to push the boat out when it comes to their factual assertions if you guys had real enforcement powers like the BSA? 
I think that one of the challenges about, for example, say imposing fines, is that you, they have to have statutory basis for that. Like we just can't say to people, hey, pay us some money because we don't like your ad. There has to be a statutory basis for that. And if you introduce a statutory process, it's going to be more complex and it's likely going to take more time. They're more likely to be defensive about what you're trying to get them to do. This, this does raise another issue that I want to bring up because is the ASA's system for ruling on complaints fast enough? There was a misleading ad about dole numbers. That ad ran in February and the decision on it was released by the ASA in June that found it was misleading. Surely by then, if it's a Facebook ad, the damage has kind of already been done. If we look at 275, 19275, which was the the car tax one, which I do have the the, the actual dates in front of me. So that advertisement, we received the complaint on the 23rd of July. So that complaint was accepted by the chair to be considered by the board four days later. And it went to the next available complaints board meeting, which was the 27th of August. And that's when the decision was made to uphold it. The decision is drafted and it was sent to parties on the 10th of September. And that's the date that we need compliance from. The appeal process didn't change anything. The decision was still upheld. The actual upheld decision was done and dusted within about six weeks. If we drill down into the 2020 numbers, so up to June 12, 2020, we dealt with, we looked at 16 election slash referenda ads. Between, in, the, in the regulated period between 13 June and 16 October, we looked at 85. And of that 85, 48 of those complaints were fast-tracked. And the average turnaround time for the complaints that went to the board was four days. Even that, is it adequate for the social media age where parties can post an ad and it will go viral within days and then it will disappear and then another one will be in place? Can even a really quick system keep up with the speed with which misinformation can travel these days? So I I think there's a couple of different aspects to that. First of all, one person's misinformation is another person's opinion. So the first question we ask in our process is, is it fact or is it opinion? And 39 of the complaints we got were people felt were misstating, you know, incorrectly stating facts. Chair of the complaints board was of the view that they were actually statements of opinion. In relation to social media, again, these ads do not exist in isolation. So I'm sure you saw some of the social media posts over the period of time, you know, when the election stuff heated up. And every single one of them had reaction immediately within the context of that post people disputing it, people challenging it, people arguing it, people supporting it. Then the people would tweet about it. And then the media would, you know, it comes to the media attention, the mainstream media would write about it and question whether or not the veracity of the statements. So they don't, no one just sees the ad. So if the party's posting stuff that most people think is not credible, then no one's going to vote for them. But is that kind of shunting the responsibility on to voters or even the media to necessarily debunk everything? I'd expect that the Justice uh, Select Committee will be doing a review of the election and we're very happy to contribute to that and happy to take part in any review, uh, you know, in terms of how our process worked in the wider scheme of things. Obviously, we our work was alongside the Electoral Commission, the BSA and the Media Council. But I think that... Um, the challenge the board has is to determine, is it fact or is it opinion? And if it is fact, is it substantiated? Our first question for the board in every ad that we deal with is, what's the consumer takeout? Not what the advertiser intended, what is the consumer takeout? And then the next step on from that 
is advocacy advertising, which is how we are the umbrella which for us, which election advertising sits under. Advocacy advertising is different to selling a product or service. It's treated differently to an ad for buying a car or getting a different coffee or a bottle of wine or whatever. It's a different type of advertising. And the key to that is the identity of the advertiser has to be clear. These examples, they're kind of small beer, aren't they? By international standards, we're talking about the fee bait <laughs> scheme, that kind of thing. But we do have this context, and we're thinking particularly of the United States, where it seems like misinformation, particularly on the Republican side of politics, is at a crisis level. We're not there yet, but the fear is that maybe some of that could infect us. And do we have the systems and structures and checks and balances in place to head that off at the pass? Yeah, look, I think it's a, a really important question, and I would really hope that the you know substantive re- the review that's been done you know will address that. I think that there are some interesting, in terms of the ASA, it was an enormous drain on our resources, which are pretty limited. We have five full-time staff who work mainly you know in a complaint area. But the election, yeah, was a huge burden uh, on all concerned, and we certainly look at how that looks for us going forward, certainly for the next election. But when you do look at something like the fee-bait decision, and, and it's something misleading goes out on Facebook, and then six weeks later there's a decision upheld against it, is that enough to deter a party, no matter what their stripe, from posting that kind of thing when they know that the ad's possibly going to be been and gone by the time well, the decision that, is released? You know, but the nature of the business is a lot of advertisers push boundaries. The most complained about political ad uh, for us was the National Party-sponsored Facebook post on the Greens' water-only policy. Uh, we had 33 complaints about that. Uh, that complaint was not upheld because the National Party portrayed and linked to the Greens policy in that post and the National Party took advantage of perhaps some wording that could have been clearer to uh, put that view out there. But it was their view of the Green Party policy. You know, in terms of the, the whole, the way that our country operates, the very clear requirement under the Electoral Act that every advertiser has to be, a, you know, there's registration for promoters, there's uh, reporting on expenditure. There's a raft of different things. I'm not, the system can absolutely be improved and there are probably better ways of doing things, but I, I worry that there's a lot of talk about the uh, level of misinformation and the damage it's having, but is that real or is that perceived? Lastly, what should change for the 2023 election, in your opinion? Uh, I think it would be good to have an updated electoral act that uh, fits a purpose in the 2020s that could encompass a raft of things. Uh, the ASA does this role because no-one else did. So the government put in place a regime to manage and control TV and radio ads in 1989 when they, um, the Broadcasting Act came into force. There's never been any regime to regulate print, outdoor, cinema, unaddressed mail, addressed mail, and, Facebook, and digital. Twitter. So we, we said we think consumers should have a chance to complain about that advertising. And so we put in place this process. But, it, yeah, there needs to be a really good discussion about what that advertising will look like going forward and what mechanisms need to be in place to support it and monitor it and support compliance with it. That was Hilary Souter, the Chief Executive of the Advertising Standards Authority, talking there to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell about misleading online election campaign ads that got censured long after they'd been before the eyeballs of potential voters and long after the polls had closed.